Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. So good morning, everyone. How are, how are we doing? Great, good, awesome. Love hearing that. Um, so this is the first time for me being able to preach in front of people uh, in like three months. So it's going to be a little bit weird. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, I love it. I'm glad that we are here. I am thankful for the uh, common grace of technology to where we could preach online. Um, but it is, it's just different being in here uh, with you guys. And, I, and I'm praying that um, people will be able to come back as slowly as they can uh, back into this place uh, to be able to worship together. So thankful you guys are here. Thankful for those online who are watching with us and continuing to be able to worship with us. Um, we are starting a new series this morning called Gospel Formed. Um, if you're familiar with how we walk through uh, some of our sermon series or a schedule we try to keep as best as we can, um, during the fall as well as the spring, we like to walk through books of the Bible. So we just got through the book of Ecclesiastes. In the fall, we'll start the book of Colossians. Um, we last year walked through the book of Acts for the entire year, but we still took time off in the summer um, as well as the winter to kind of go through what we would consider topical series. Um, now, when you hear topical series, I, I do want to lay to rest. We're not like trying to pick certain things out of the Bible and then surround them with scriptures, pulling it out of context. Uh, what we're trying to do in our topical sermons is really take the narrative of scripture and what you find um, and, and bring them to the forefront so that we can see some of these themes throughout the Word of God. So for us this summer, Gospel Formed is going to be that theme, that topic that we're going to cover. Um, and really, we're going to go super Baptist on you and have each week be taught through a letter M. So this week is the message. Next week is going to be the model. Uh, the week after will be the means and then we have motivation and mission. So a bunch of M's, right, that we're just going to follow. So message, model, means, motivation, mission. And all of it has to do with gospel formation. How do I live a life modeled by the gospel? How do I live a life that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so today's message is going to start with, and it really should be the middle ground, our ending point, everything about our lives, the message of Jesus Christ. That is the most important message, or as we'll see from 1 Corinthians 15, that is the message of first importance when it comes to the life of a believer. Warren Worsby says, The gospel is the most important message for the church that she can proclaim to the world. While it is good to be involved in social action and the betterment of mankind, none of these ministries must ever preempt the gospel. So the gospel has to be the first the middle, the end, or as H.P. Charles says, it is not only our entrance, entrance exam to the Christian life, but it is the midterm, the final, the homework, the study notes, the graduation ceremony, the alumni services that we do. It is everything about our lives. We should be molded and shaped by the truths of the gospel because the gospel message must transform everything that we do in life how we view our marriages, how we look at and raise our kids, how we spend and view our money, how we engage with our neighbors, how we engage with the world around us. 
everything needs to come through the lens of the message of Jesus Christ. This is the believer's life. It should be all about the gospel. Now, we're going to get to how we live this out, right? In the next couple of weeks, we will be able to see through the lens of Scripture how the believer lives this out. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to just talk about the message, the most important message or the message that is of first importance, the greatest message of all time. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And here's what I want to do, because we actually have some people in here, and this is where I say it might get a little bit awkward, and I don't care. Um, we're going to read it together, those four verses. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. They're going to be on the screen. Um, if you do, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 4 together. So I'll give you a moment. And then we'll get going. Starting in verse 1, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask Him to bless this time in prayer, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for what You've shown us already in Your Word. Thank You for uh, being able to gather together and sing Your truths, to hear Your truth preached, uh, to be able to celebrate this gospel together, Lord. Um, I, I pray that you would stir our affections more for you, that we would be challenged and shaped by this message we hear this morning, and that, that we would then go out and live this message, that it would transform our lives uh, into the image of Christ, as your word promises us. Bless this time. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So um, if you have not walked through our new member class, um, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to give you a little bit or shed a little bit of light on it. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I know Dwayne says the same thing. It's one of our favorite things that we get to walk through uh, what our mission and vision looks like here at the District Church. Uh, we break down what we see in Scripture as a big C church, the believers in Christ, as well as what small C church, the local body, looks like. Um, as well as kind of our uh, mission and vision of what we want to see with gospel-centered disciples, um, and then why we also call it covenant membership, and where we see in Scripture this comes from. But early on, and I think Jordan's probably the only one that can attest to this, our new member class didn't look like that. Our new member class, the first time we did it, uh, was actually a two-day event, Friday and Saturday night. I don't think we could get anybody to do that again. So thanks, Jordan, and the rest of those who were a part of that. Um, but what we did early on in our new member classes, oftentimes we like to talk about our distinctives. And we don't do this anymore. We'll, we'll talk about some distinctives in our new member class, but early on, that was the entirety of that class. We used to talk about, hey, we're Baptists. Hey, we uh, hold to a complementarian view. Hey, we, we believe in the doctrines of grace, which 
If you're not familiar with that, that's we, it's Calvinism, all right? Um, don't be shocked, it's okay. Um, and what we used to do in the entirety of those classes is we used to talk about this is how we're distinct from other churches. And then in 2018, we actually read a survey uh, about evangelical churches like ours and some of their beliefs and some of the places where they landed and we started to shift, started to get a little bit nervous about, hey, maybe we shouldn't focus so much on distinctives, but maybe we should teach the core and basics of the Christian life. I want to share some of those results here from that survey and why we were so concerned about it. Some of these statements, uh, the way that they were presented, uh, the answer that you could give would be agree, disagree, or I don't know. So the first thing that we kind of noticed in this survey, the one, uh, the one statement that was brought up was, people have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. Now remember, this is just specifically to evangelical churches like ours. That's a statement that was made. Here are the results that people gave. 82% agreed, 17% said they didn't know, and 1% disagreed with that statement that people have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. The second statement that stuck out to me and Duane was that individuals must contribute to their own salvation. 74% agreed, 22% said they didn't know, and 4% disagreed. Now this one stuck out to us the most, and we talk about it a lot in our new member class. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now I want you to hear that statement again, because it can sound subtle, and it can sound right, but it is heretical and incorrect. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 71% agreed, 20% said they didn't know, and 9% disagreed. You hear those numbers? 91% of the people that heard that statement either agreed or didn't know that Jesus was not a created being. We're aware of that, right? We should be. We should pick that up. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus has always been. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit have existed together in perfect unity before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of time. And for believers, or people who say they are believers, in the church to answer that began within us a thought process of maybe we need to move away from these distinctives and maybe we need to get back to preaching the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or at least teaching the basics of what we see within Scripture and the themes that are presented to us. Another article that came, around, came out around that time was by D.A. Carson. And Carson would write on the history of the Mennonites. And in his article, he shows this pattern that the first generation of the Mennonites and their faith is that they believed and accepted the gospel. The second generation assumed the gospel, and the third generation rejected the gospel. So after this survey and after this article, Duane and I started to shift, okay, what we need to be preaching, what we need to have in our institute classes, what we need in our community groups, even down to the little district, is the basics of the faith, because we do not want this church to be answering questions like that in the survey, and we don't want our church to be that second and third generation that just assumes the gospel 
or rejects it altogether. And I say this a lot in our new member class. I could care less if you know the ins and outs of Calvinism, especially if you can't explain the message of the gospel. I could care less if you know more about complementarian, the complementarian view than you do about Jesus Christ and him dying for your sins according to the scripture and being buried and raised three days later according to the scripture. And the reason I bring this up is because this message of the gospel is of first importance. Those distinctives that we talk about and that we hold to and that we have from convictions that we see throughout scripture, it's not that they're not important, but they're not more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we started to shift some of our language as well as some of our vision and mission within this church to be more about those basic beliefs of the Christian faith and less about our distinctives. And I wanted to bring that up because this is what we're talking about this morning. The message of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and raised from the grave according to the scriptures. And so what I want to do from the text this morning is I want to answer two questions. What is this message that Paul is preaching? And why is it of first importance for not only the life of a believer, but the whole world? And if you're here this morning, and you're like, well, I already know these answers. I already know what this message is. I already know why it's of first importance. Great. I encourage you to continue to hear this gospel because there is no greater message, even as a believer in Christ, than this beautiful truth that Jesus died for your sins and he was raised from the grave, sealing your election as sons and daughters of God. There is no greater message and it should encourage you as believers in Christ to continue to hear it over and over and over. So let me read to you again Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What is the message? We teach this to our kids all the time. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners like you and I from our sins. This is the salvation message that Paul preached to the Corinthians and that then gets overflowed into us being preached. He says, I remind you, brothers, the gospel I preached to you that you received, on which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And I want you to hear that in this message, there is no do. There is no, you need to do this in order for God to save you. You're not going to find any command in this passage or in the entirety of Scripture that says your works must be done in order for you to be saved. It's simply this, that Christ has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. That He has done for us, not what we must do to be saved. You see, the key word for any religion outside of Christianity is do. But the key word for Christianity is done. 
It's that phrase that we sang, it is finished. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we read it this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift from God, not, a, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. Christ has done all that we need. Now what has He done for our salvation? Paul says it here in this passage. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave three days later. And I want to get to those in a moment, but I want to focus on one phrase that's used twice. According with the Scriptures. You see, this is important for us to recognize and see. Paul's message was not just something that he made up, but this message was something that he had received, that he had preached. It's the same message that he finds throughout the Old Testament and the Scriptures. It's the message that is preached today. This message that the Scriptures have been given since Genesis 3.15. That the Gospel would come. That one would come to crush the head of the serpent. You see, the death of Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3.15. But it's also the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and all the predictions that came through the Old Testament Scriptures. If you guys are familiar with uh, the road to Emmaus, Jesus comes up on two unsuspecting disciples who are mourning over his death. And he comes up to them, and, and you can find this in Luke 24, I'm paraphrasing of course. Um, he comes up to them, they're mourning, they're crying, they're upset because the Messiah that they thought would save them and rule and reign in this world is now, to them, dead. And Jesus has a kind of veiled face. He doesn't allow them to see who he is, asks why they're mourning, and they share this. And after he hears them, this is what he says. This is Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. He says, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures that concerned himself. This is what Jesus is saying. Is the law and the prophets, Moses and all the prophets that preached, all concerned me. Everything that they had to say was about me. Everything the Bible has to say is about him. The historical books foreshadow him. The poetic books anticipate him. The prophets foretell of him. The gospels record his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. The resurrection glorifies him. The epistles explain his life and his ministry and what they mean to us. And the book of Revelation shows that one day he will return and make all things new. It is all about Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus tells the Pharisees this in John 5.39 when He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about Me. Jesus is saying the Scriptures are all about Me. This is the message Paul preached. And it's the same message that you're going to hear from, it, uh, from us day in and day out as we come in and open the Scriptures Paul writes this in Colossians 1.28, and I love this verse. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If you want to know a prayer that I have every time I think about the district church, it's that verse. 
that I would be able to help present you as mature in Christ because that is going to be your greatest joy. That is where you're going to find great satisfaction. That is where you will find rest for your souls is in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. And as we walk through gospel formation or being gospel formed, as believers we have to understand that this this belief in the gospel, this proclamation of the gospel is what also transforms us. As one pastor puts it, saving faith is rooted in gospel proclamation and results in gospel transformation. So this is the message. This is the message that is of first importance. This is the message that we have to get right in order to get everything else right. Whatever it is, how we give and how we spend our money, how we raise our children, how we view social justice, how we view anything in this world has to come through the lens of the message of Jesus Christ. This is of first importance. So I want to answer that second question, why is it of first importance? And we're just going to go back to the text. We're going to walk through these first four verses again. You see in first... You see in verse 1, first the thing that Paul says is, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. What is he saying? I'm reminding you because you seem to have forgotten the gospel. And we're about to sing a song, my, my favorite hymn at the end of this uh, sermon, Come Thou Fount. And there's a verse in Come Thou Fount that says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. How often can we say amen to that verse in that song? That we are prone to wander and prone to leave the God we love. Because we don't remind ourselves of the truth day in and day out. We see this in the scriptures where the Jews, even though they are freed from slavery in the Exodus, the moment they get to the wilderness, they forget that God saved them. We see this pattern throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. It's amazing, even as you walk through 1 Corinthians 15, the first verse that we see after all of this, it says that Jesus then appeared to Cephas. You guys know who Cephas is? That's Peter, right? Peter should give us hope as we read through the Scriptures because he is one that seems to forget the Gospel. Even after he proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, the next couple of verses, Jesus tells him to get behind him Satan. That should give us hope, right? If someone can proclaim that you're the Christ and then Jesus tells you that, it's like, okay, if Peter got it and then forgot it and then had to be reminded of it, I'm, I'm in that same boat, I'm okay. Because then we even see in Galatians, Paul had to remind Peter of the gospel that he had forgotten and that he had chose to sit with the Jews instead of the Gentiles in eating because he thought they were unclean. We need the reminding of the gospel day in and day out. As one pastor once said to me, you need two preachers in your life. The one on Sunday morning and the one throughout the week. And that one throughout the week should be yourself preaching to yourself the gospel message of Jesus Christ that you have been saved and freed from sin, and you are now justified in front of the Lord, you are being sanctified, and then one day you will be glorified. 
And when we start to forget the gospel, this is what can happen. We start to fall into categories. Some of them can be all of this. Some of them just maybe one or two. But there are four categories that I want to point out. And I'm not going to stay too long on these. But when we shift away from the gospel, we can fall into legalism, license, lukewarmness, or we leave the faith altogether. So when we shift, we can fall into legalism where we put our works before the work of Christ and we place our weight on those works. Or license, where we say, you know what, because I am saved, now I can live however I want. And we don't pursue the holiness in which God calls us to. Or we live a life of lukewarmness, where we are indifferent to the truths of the gospel. Or sadly, and I've seen this more and more in some of the people I've I've grown up with, we leave the faith altogether. So the first verse shows us we... We need this of first importance, this message, because we are so prone to forget. We need the reminding of the gospel. The second thing of why this gospel is of first importance is because it transforms us. We see halfway through verse 1, the gospel preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Two things that Paul is showing us here. The first is that the gospel transforms us. You see the verbs received, stand, are being saved by it. These are three tenses in which salvation is happening within our lives. Past, present, future. You are saved in the past from your past sins. You are justified before the Lord in Christ. And then you are being saved from sin in sanctification, which you are being transformed into the image of Christ. And so as you pursue holiness, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And then future, you will, we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. And that is glorification. This is the truth that we believe. This is the truth we hold on to. But what Paul is also warning us here is that last phrase, if you believed in vain. This is a very real and scary warning that should help us examine our fruit. I like to put this as when you see verses like this, it should be like a check engine light, right? If you have a car and the check engine light comes on, it doesn't mean that your engine's about to explode. It doesn't mean that it's about to break down. It just means you might need to cap off some liquid or you might need to check the oil. Because if you don't, then eventually your engine will crack. But a check engine light doesn't mean that your engine is completely destroyed. But it's time to check it out. So in these verses, we should take them as a warning or a check engine light. Hey, maybe I need to check that fruit. Maybe I need to see where my life is and how I am applying the gospel. Because Jesus tells us we judge a tree by the fruit that it bears, right? Jesus tells us that there's a parable of four seeds being scattered on the ground and only one of those seeds actually become a healthy plant. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that there will be one day where people come to him and say, look at all the things I've done for you, Lord. And he says, 
Depart from me, for I never knew you. Hebrews 6 shows us that there are those who partake in the Holy Spirit, but then walk away from the faith. This is a very real reality. Paul isn't just throwing words out there of if you believed in vain. He's giving us a warning of, hey, let's check the fruit in which we bear to see if it matches up and lines up with the Scriptures. And I don't say this to threaten you. I don't say this to scare you. I don't say this to make this the most important thing of this message. I want to highlight what Paul is saying because this is the Word of God. Saving faith is rooted in gospel proclamation that leads to gospel transformation. Does God save us as we are? Absolutely. But His promise is to never leave us as we are. His promise found in Romans 8 and throughout the Scriptures is to transform us into the image of His Son. Look, I'll use my own life as an example. If I renounce everything that I'm preaching this morning at the end of my life, if I walk away and my faith fizzles, what that reveals is that I never truly believed in the first place. This is why we have to continue to press into the Word of God, continue to pray and be in gospel-centered communities so that warnings that come up or check engine lights that might come up can be seen by others and they can speak into your life. This is why we harp on gospel-centered community. Because it's important. And it helps us see where we may be in error. The third thing that we see why the gospel is of first importance is because it is the anchor that holds us fast to this truth. The phrase here in verse 2, in which you stand, brings me great delight and joy. Hebrews 6.19 says, we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. You've ever seen my left arm here? This anchor is based on that verse. So I delight in that verse. I love it. Because it shows me that in this gospel, I have a hope that is anchored in what Christ has done. That means that we have a foundation. That when we place our faith and trust in the Lord, even when, the, even when our lives seem out of control, even when there's pressure and pain and problems that come, we can stand firm. No matter what comes up in our life. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and those who hear these words, the, the words that He gives in His Scripture, the one that builds his house on a rock stands firm in the midst of the storm. And the one who builds his house on sand, when the storm comes, it gets destroyed. This, this is the same message here. In Christ we can stand. In Christ we have a solid rock that when the storm comes, and you notice in that parable, the storm comes to both houses. But when the storm comes, we can stand. The gospel is what we stand in. It enables us to love and live in life as we ought to. It gives us power to say no to sin. We have a place to stand that can handle anything that comes. So how do we stand firm? The same way we began. By the gospel in the gospel message of Jesus Christ that the grace through faith that we have received is what we hold fast to. 
Fourthly, why is this of first importance? Because of our sin. Because in when we stand in front of the Lord, without Christ, we stand condemned. Because of our sin and because of our shame that we chose to rebel against God, we, without a substitute, would receive the just wrath of God against us. You see, the heart of Adam and Eve's problem in Genesis 3 is not that they had just broken a rule, right? Sin is not just breaking a rule or doing something that we're not supposed to or betraying one another's trust. No, sin we see in Genesis 3 and then throughout time in humanity is the elevation of self over God. And that's what they tried to do. They tried to become like God. God, and we do the same anytime we sin. Any sin that we commit, whether it's genocide or cheating on our taxes, the most offended party is always God. That's why David says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what, and done what is evil in your sight. Now you think about that text for a moment, right? David, in his repentance in Psalm 51, is saying, against you, Lord, and you alone have I sinned. But when you understand the context of that passage, in that he is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, and that he committed adultery, and then he also murdered her husband, it's insane that he would say, first and foremost, against you and you alone I sinned. Right? Because there are a lot of other people that he sinned against. He sinned against Bathsheba in seducing her. He sinned against Uriah and her family by betraying them and having him murdered. He sinned against the military as a king and his command by corrupting them and sending Uriah out to the forefront. He sinned against his own people as the king of Israel, not acting as a righteous king. It's hard to think of anyone in that story that he did not sin against. And yet, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And why is that? Because here's the reality of sin. At the deepest level, what David says is exactly the truth. What makes sin so heinous and what makes sin so sinful is precisely that it defies God. Is it awful that we hurt others? Absolutely. Is it sinful what David did to both Bathsheba, Uriah, his own nation, his own kingdom, his own family? Absolutely. But sin first and foremost starts with the offense towards God. God is ultimately the offended party when it comes to sin. And so when we read passages like this that says Christ died for our sin, this is good news. Because what we see throughout Scripture is this, from the beginning of Genesis 3 all the way till now, is what we must have before we have anything else. What we must have is forgiveness of our sins before a holy and righteous God, or we have nothing. Jesus died in our place for our sins. At the cross, God treated Jesus as if He committed all of our sins so that by faith in Him, God may treat us as if we had performed all the righteousness of Christ. This is the good news. This is the message that we hold on to. 
And then finally, why is this message of first importance? Because Jesus' resurrection seals our justification before the Lord. Romans 4, 23 and 25 say this, but these words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That means Christ's death on the cross and resurrection wasn't just for Christ, but it was for us also to be counted for those who believe in him, who raised from the, who was raised from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the cross isn't just where we are justified, but by Jesus' resurrection, we are also justified before the Lord. Christ went to the cross because of our sins and was raised in order for us to be justified in the sight of God. As one pastor puts it, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find evidence that all the wrath of God towards sinful man was absorbed in Christ. There's not anything further needed than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When he says, it is finished, and him being resurrected is where we find our justification before God and our right standing before him. The resurrection of Jesus was God's declaration of amen on Jesus' declaration of the cross where he said it is finished. Hear that. The resurrection is God saying amen to Jesus saying it is finished on the cross. This is why the message of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, being buried, and resurrecting three days later is of first importance. Because we are now first and foremost justified in God's sight. He no longer sees us as sinners, as enemies towards Him, but He sees us as sons and daughters in whom He delights in. It reminds us where we stand before Him. This message of first importance shows us that we are saved, that we are being saved, and that we will finally be saved in glory. This message shows us that we are righteous because of Christ. That He absorbed the wrath of our sin and our state is now of a righteous state that's been imputed to us because of Christ. And finally, this message is of first importance because it seals our justification through His resurrection. And in God's sight, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free to live a joyous, satisfied life in the Lord. So what I want to do is I want to ask you two questions this morning, rhetorical, of course. And I want you to think on these things this week. Where is the gospel not of first importance in your life? And if you don't know right now, that's fine. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, to help reveal these things. But this week, think on that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where you have allowed other issues in your life to become of first importance. And then secondly, are you standing firm in the Gospel? Are you standing firm in the message that it is finished? It is done. Do you believe this truly? Or is this just a belief in vain? I want you to think about those things throughout this week and hopefully it brings some encouragement to you. 
I'm going to close with this story that H.B. Charles Jr. tells of a six-year-old boy who heard the gospel from 1 Corinthians 5.17. That verse is, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And after that message was preached, the six-year-old boy comes up and he declares, I believe in the gospel. I am saved. So the deacons and the leaders take this boy into the back room just to examine his faith. And they ask him, how do you know that you are saved? And he says, I have done my part and God has done his part. So the deacons, making sure that this boy was not preaching a works-based faith, presented the gospel to him again and then asked him, do you understand what was preached? And he says, yes. And they say, how do you know that you're saved? And he said, I have done my part and Christ did his part, even more emphatically. And then they ask, son, what, what was your part? And he says, my part was the sinning and Christ's part was the saving. It's like that old phrase, the only thing that I bring to the table of salvation is my sin. Christ brings his saving work. Isn't that good news? Isn't that what we can rest in this morning? That he would die for our sins according to the scripture and be buried and raised from the grave three days later. As the old hymn says, Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought me liberty. I do not know just why he ever came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. And I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. My need, your need, is to be reconciled to God because of our sin. And Jesus did that on the cross. And He did this in His resurrection so that we then can receive His righteousness, His inheritance, and God's delight in us as sons and daughters. And so this morning, we get to celebrate that in the act of communion. There should be some little glasses of juice and bread underneath your seats. For those of you online, I, I can't wait till you get to partake with us in this. But if you would take some time to just meditate on this message, pray, we're going to take this time for communion. And to remember that Christ has died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and He was raised from the grave three days later. The bread representing His body and the juice representing His blood that was poured out for us. But I also want you guys to remember as we partake in this that this isn't just an individual act in which we are receiving, but it's a corporate one. Yes, in communion there is a moment in which you think back on the sins that Jesus died for, but then you praise and you reflect and you thank the Lord for what He has done. And then there, there are times in this celebration that you look around and you see that those who are taking this communion with you are your brothers and sisters in Christ that you can celebrate with. And then there's a moment of looking forward because we recognize that this communion is just a small reflection of what is to come. That it should make us long for the great meal and the great feast that is to come with the Lamb, and that is Jesus Christ.
So we look back, we look around, and then we look forward. And we celebrate and receive the grace that we have in this communion. So let's take of the bread and the juice, and then we're going to continue to worship, and I'll close us in prayer here. So go ahead and take the communion, and then I'll pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you that from the foundation of the earth, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created a plan to redeem sinful people like us in order that we would be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, there has been no greater need for us than this message of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you have done all that we need in order to be brought into this family. Lord, I pray as we take a message like this, as we take the good news, that this would encourage us as believers, that it would stir our affections, and that it would transform our lives in how we view everything we do. From our neighbors, to our jobs, to our children, to our money, to how we interact with our family. Lord, let this gospel message of Jesus Christ transform every area of our lives. For your glory, and ultimately for our joy, and being satisfied in you. Thank you, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at